Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our segment where we speak to sporting founders and professionals from the world of sports from all over the globe. My special guest today is Mike Margolis. Welcome, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on today. We got the name right, which is a great start. <laughs> it is always a good start. Absolutely. Mike, um, you, you have been working with athletes for many, many years. You play a very, very important role in an athlete's life, really. Before we get into what you're you're currently working on and some stories on how you've impacted athletes, let's go back in time and discuss where it it all began for you. Well, I guess it all began um, in that proverbial log house. No, wait, that's somebody else's story. you know, I was growing up, I was a pretty good athlete. Yeah. Um, I played three sports in high school. and um, But I never lasted very long. I just kept quitting, you know. Yeah. Um, part of it, I didn't get along very, with, very well with coaches. And part of it was that when I wasn't being thought of as a star, I decided I wasn't good enough. And so I would quit. Now, I loved playing, so I kept playing sports. So by the time I was 16, I could dunk the basketball. I could run um, as fast as pretty much anybody in my school and catch whatever was thrown at me. But, you know, I I kept competing, but not at a high school or what we would now have as a select or, you know, a high-level youth level. When I got to uh, college, um, I met the head football coach. Now, let me describe that as American Gridiron, yeah. or however else you want to refer to it as, That's as, right. as soccer. And um, I asked him if I could come out for the team. And he looked at me and he said, you know, asked me where I played in high school, and I said I didn't. And he said, well, you know, you can come out if you want. It'll be tough, but you can come out. And so for the first time, I didn't quit. I became the second-string wide receiver, guy who catches passes, on a Division I football team. And naturally, that's when I quit because I wasn't the starter. You know, here I was a freshman in college, and the starter was a senior. But I looked at it as I'm not good enough. Yeah. So I transferred transferred schools. I went to say – to thank the coach when I was leaving, and he wanted to know why, and I told him that, you know, I just wasn't good enough. And he said, here's what you don't understand. You're a freshman, Jake, who was the starter as a senior. You're 170 pounds, he's 200 pounds, and we need a strong blocking wide receiver. But your turn is next year. You're a better receiver right now than he is as a senior. We just needed something different this year. Wow. And then he really rubbed it in and he said, and he 
know that Jacobs got drafted into the NFL. Mm. But I had passed up that chance. I transferred schools and eventually asked the head football coach at my new school if I could come out. And now I was at a Division three school, which in U.S. terms is a, a huge step down. Yeah. And he wanted, he wanted to know where I played in high school. And I said, I didn't. And he literally turns his back on me, throws his arms up and says, never mind, I'm not interested. Whoa. And um, I had become a kinesiology major, physical education major. I, I wanted to become a coach. And he had to take classes in, other, in, in how to coach all sports. And I was taking a class in how to coach soccer, football. Yeah. And um, and after a while, the coach came to me and said, no, you work at this. You can play for us before you're done. So my senior year, I played college soccer, and I played a year professionally after that. At a time in the United States where, you know, playing soccer professionally meant you could probably take your spouse out for uh, uh, dinner at McDonald's. Um but I was also, uh, I had an assistantship, a graduate teaching assistantship uh, to the University of Denver, and I was asked to show up early to meet my department chair. And he was busy, he was on the phone, he said, go talk to Bruce, my friend Bruce. And I went over and talked to this older man with white hair and a white mustache and a big smile on his face. And he wanted to know where I played, had I played sports in high school or college, and what did I want to do with my master's degree. And after I finished telling him the story of basically my failure in sport, he laughed at me. And he said, you know, those things that you're lacking, like confidence, the ability to handle pressure, the ability to stay focused and stay motivated, those are just skills. Mm. And, you can learn them at any, and you can learn them at any time. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I looked at him, uh, slightly taken aback for being laughed at, and I said, so who are you? And he said, I'm Bruce. And I said, yeah, I know I got that part. <laughs> and he gave me his last name, which is Ogilvy. And the light bulb went off in my head because Bruce Ogilvy is recognized as the father of modern sports psychology in North America. And he was my department chair's best friend. Wow. And right, right after that, my department chair gets up looks at Bruce and says, let's go out to lunch. And so Bruce gets up and says, that's a great idea. And they both start walking out the door and I'm sitting here like, um, did you guys forget about me? You know, what's <laughs> going on? And my department chair turns around and tosses me his keys and says, you're driving. And nice. at that point, I was adopted hired, put into uh, involuntary servitude, um, you know, and became their assistant for the next couple of years, working with uh, high-level athletes that came to Denver, including um, the Denver Broncos, um, working with them when they went to their first Super Bowl appearance, helping my, my boss with the mental and physical training of, of athletes in the Denver area. And from wow. there I went on and, you know, did my doctoral work and, you know, I've been basically training athletes for the last um, 
40 some odd years. Very nice. And um, what would you say is your biggest achievement? Uh, surviving 40 years. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, mental training and sports psychology has uh, been a roller coaster ride uh, all these years. And sometimes it's, it's tough because of the economy. Sometimes it's difficult depending on what your what the area is like. Um, you know, I've had some things that haven't always gone the way I wanted them to, not necessarily with the athletes, but, you know, when I was teaching at university, things went kind of the wrong direction. Um, I was down in um, Colorado Springs working with elite figure skaters for a couple of years. And then one of the coaches who was basically in charge of the whole program pulled the rug out from underneath me because one of his athletes won a bronze medal at the world championships and she wasn't supposed to win anything. And so she was crediting it to the mental training and the girl that was supposed to win that bronze medal wanted to work with me as well. And, you know, was taking too much credit away from him. And so I got fired. So there's been some real challenges over the years. Bugger. Bugger. Um, awesome. You've had challenges. You've had successes. Let's talk about now and today. What are you, what are you currently working on? Well, today I'm in um, Dallas, Texas, uh, or a suburb of it called Frisco, Texas, uh, which is where the Dallas Cowboys – uh, American football team has their practice facility or just outside of that. Nice. I'm with a, com I'm with a company called uh, Mental Training Incorporated. I'm the chief operating officer uh, for the company. Uh, we work with athletes around the world, uh, both online with people, uh, in the office. Uh, we have, rather than running away from technology, we've embraced technology. We use as I told you earlier, I use Zoom all the time, like we're on right now, um, to work with people all over the world. Um, we have developed a, a very um, useful and clever app uh, for to help people with mental, their mental training. We have several online programs for athletes, athletes, parents, and coaches to go through. So that they can all learn about the benefits of utilizing the science of sports psychology. Nice. And how, and how has tech impacted the space? Like how, how has it made your, your life easier day to day? Other than Zoom. <laughs> Other than Zoom. Um, Zoom was a big one though because it allows us to work with people around the world. Wow. Um, just as, you know, obviously we're not sitting next to each other right now. We're an 18-hour, 20-hour flight away from each other. Texas, um, Texas is 18 hours, 17 to 18 hours. 17, 18 hours. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> uh, the the two-hour difference isn't a whole lot. It's still a long plane flight. It is horrible, um, horrible plane flight. <laughs> uh, the uh, you know, the app allows us to, our app is really special in that it allows an athlete to go on the app, not only get information about 
mental trainings in particular, but also to track their process goals, to be able to record results, to be able to make notes. And when we're working with a team, and, and what's cool about it is the accountability factor, is that I can also look in and see what they're doing in real time. So when they report that, you know, they've done their uh, their mindfulness uh, work that day, if they've used, uh, uh, if they've done some visualization, if they've been uh, practicing a certain breathing technique, then they mark that they did it. And I can actually see that if I'm working with a team of individuals, um, not only can I see what the whole team is doing individually, but so can their coach. So it makes the athlete accountability to doing the work. And this is the one thing that we've come to recognize over the years is that until you get in the habit of working on these mental training exercises, you know, what people normally do is if it's not a habit, they'll do it for a little while and then they'll stop. And it's just like what happens when you're doing physical training. If you're doing weight training and you stop doing the weight training, your muscles start to atrophy. And that's what we found here as well is that people stop doing the mental training and their performance actually starts to slide backwards. Absolutely. Um, I mean, when you're working with teams, you're dealing with so many different athletes, so many different personalities, so many different challenges. How do you guys find the right balance to sort of have them all, all aligned and ready to go? Well, you know, that's the, uh, I guess that maybe that's the advantage of 40 years experience. Um, and having also been a uh, fairly high-level youth soccer coach. For, for decades, is that you get to learn how to work with different personalities. Um, you know, everything we do is individualized for those people, but the basics, the baseline information that we're going to be giving them is all the same, and then we just start tweaking it for what that individual needs. Somebody might have to work a little bit more on their confidence, where somebody else might uh, have um, more issues with anxiety. So we just kind of, by talking with them and getting them to not only become more aware of their thoughts, but then helping them plan out what they need to do in order to uh, perform at that higher level. Absolutely. What's the what's one, what's probably the, the biggest challenge you you helped an athlete overcome? Um, I think the biggest challenge that, you know, it, there's an old, um, uh, there's an old, uh, I don't know if you know what a, a, a Yogi Bearism is. <laughs> um, you know, he once said that 90% of sports performance is mental and the other half is physical. Um, his math skills weren't always so good. Um, you know, everybody I talk to is always going to say that the mental game is somewhere between 60 and 90% of performance. You know, nobody ever says it's 10%. Um, but having said that, 
not everybody's willing to work on that mental side because it's not like, you know, if I send you to the gym and to work with a personal trainer and he hands you a 20-pound dumbbell or two 20-pound dumbbells and he says, okay, I want you to do three sets of 15 for the next two weeks. And then in two weeks, he checks you out again and then he hands you a 25-pound dumbbell and says, okay, now do this. And you can see the progress. You can see it. You can feel it. But when we're doing mental training, it's just a shift in mindset. Yeah. You can't, you don't physically see your biceps getting bigger. You're not picking up a bigger weight. And so when you go out and you perform at that higher level, you go, I'm performing at a higher level. Maybe it's because I'm doing more weights. You know, I'm lifting more weight, or maybe it's because I'm spending more time doing my my physical training. So even though everybody credits with the mental side as being critical to performance, it also doesn't necessarily get the credit for helping somebody elevate their performance. Uh, I've personally seen it transform people. Like, I cannot believe how much of a difference it makes. It absolutely does, but when people go back to it, they go, all right, now I don't need to see Mike every week because he tells me I don't need to see him every week. And then they stop doing the exercises, you know, whether it's a mindfulness exercise or an imagery exercise, they just kind of, it, it comes off their priority list because they think they're already there. Yeah. Now, they would never stop lifting weights. They would never stop running, but they stopped doing the other exercises. Wow. Now that you, you put it that way, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot, a lot of sense. Wow. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Mike, um, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, where we have to wrap things up. Before we let you go, um, any last words? And where, where can we find you online? Um, I don't know what kind of last words I can have other than that. You know, we work with athletes around the world. Um, I think that uh, I don't have much modesty anymore. I say we're pretty good at what we do. You know, we've got athletes that, you know, right now I've got two players that I've worked with on the U.S. men's national team in soccer. I've got a guy playing in Europe uh, in basketball. I've got a esports athlete, which is a rather new area for me to work in, a professional esports athlete. You know, we've worked with people all over the world at, at all levels, all the way down to the high school level, and they all are better after doing this. Um, as far as getting hold of me, uh, they can reach me through Mental Training Incorporated, or they can email me directly at margolis at thementalhyphengame.com. Um, they can find my book, The Athlete Within You, nice. on Amazon. On Amazon, we'll put the link in the uh, notes section. Okay, that'll be perfect. Awesome. But. Uh, you know, like I said, I work with athletes, coaches, performing artists, and executives. Love it. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mike Margolis, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Thank you, Albert, for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?